Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Salt Mine. We are coming at you with episode number 11, fresh off of our winner's finals and a loser's semifinals here in the playoffs, where we have predicted every match incorrectly. My name is Gordo. I am joined by Nyarko and TDS, as always. And boys, 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 we have underestimated some teams or overestimated some other teams here. I think all of our predictions end up being incorrect, at least on aggregate. I think TDS at least gets to uh, claim some success on the Team Liquid series at an absolute minimum. Let's go through our series from the last week, talk about what's happened in this previous week, give some predictions for those finals that are going to be coming up this weekend, and uh, wrap up what's been a pretty dope season of the NACL to kick everything off. It all started on uh, last Thursday with the Dignitas, or no, it started on Monday. It started on Monday with the Dignitas versus Cloud9 series to finish off the upper bracket and qualify Dignitas challengers in a 3-1 win to the finals. Let's chat about that series, guys, because we were real wrong. We were unwilling to predict against Cloud9 after how dominant they've been so far, and they looked anything but for, I think, a lot of that Dignitas series. I'm not exactly sure when we are going to learn to stop underestimating Dixie, given that we got punished from episode number one onwards. Um, at least I said I don't think this is going to be a 3-0. I think this is going to be relatively close. You know, when these two played in the regular season, they split games, and Dignitas here, it seems like they've gotten into another gear. Uh, I think that C9 struggled on multiple fronts, even though they managed to take a game off of the side of Dig. A lot of their weaknesses started in the draft phase. I like the fact that they were respect banning Rumble for a lot of it, but I mean, Hoon just Hooned on them with multiple champions. You can't grab the Scion and not expect that Gwen to come through, and that was just a very, very rough game in Cough. I'm so glad we don't have Bonfire here to just tell us that we were wrong along. Because I'm, I wouldn't be happy to to just talk about the fact that Cloud9 really underwhelmed. Not not taking away from Dixie, I do think that Dixie performed better than I actually expected from them. But I want to give, like we were talking about Hoon, I want to give a lot of credit to Spawn because I feel like he really turned around for that series, playing really really well, consistent, didn't really give up a lot of advantageous positions to C9, and I think that that allowed for the other members to end up shining a little bit more. But C9, it felt so underwhelming. Last week, we were talking about the fact that I thought that on each position, you could comparatively see that C9 has an edge on almost all of them, except for probably jungle. But this series, it really didn't like feel like that was the case. Like we were talking, you were talking about it. Hoon really performed so highly. I think Diamond outperformed Sazel in all the series as well. He performed so so well in the matchup and really just bringing the Bivis team together better than what C9C performed or showcased. Maybe it was an off day. It can happen to anyone, and that's why in the second like chance they get a better opportunity to showcase themselves. But it was really underwhelming. Yeah, I do think. Maybe a little bit of an off day for Lost in particular. I think he looked uncharacteristically poor in the series there. I think Zazel still looked quite good, but Lost did not really uh, manage to pull his weight. Um, but I have to call out a player that you didn't include in your uh, miscalculations there, TDS. Uh, and that's insanity. I mean, I think this is really, this series really proves to be, especially in this game number one, right? where uh, Insanity actually just kind of gaps Diplex, right? He like he, he throws down his first Ari of the season up against Diplex's best champion, the Silas, uh, and he just goes up massively in CS, keeps him shoved under turret the entire game, is way more useful around the map, uh, wins them really big fights over Dragon and over Soul, uh, and ends the game for Dig off that. And, I mean, I think from there... It really puts Cloud9 on the back foot, and they really struggle to respond in draft for the rest of the series. Like, you see, like, Diplex has to, like, go into weird stuff. He plays, like, the Vel'Koz in game two. And it's like, they, they clearly were pretty reliant, or at least were planning on being able to reliably blind that Silas. Uh, and Insanity says no to that very, very early to start off the series and really sets the pace for Dignitas there. I guess that shows even us and even I myself am not immune to the import bias brain rot 
because uh, we just assume coming in last week, you know, we say only jungle is going to be favored for Dignitas. We just assume that Diplex is going to beat Insanity, even though they've never played against each other before, right? Dig versus Cloud9 was back in week two, uh, where Insanity had to play against Eminus on Akali twice. Um, didn't look very good for Insanity there, but he's never played against Diplex and looked substantially better than Diplex in, in this series, I would say. I think uh, Diplex has failed the Insanity check to get into LCS, as, as many mid laners this season have. But, well, that's why C9C changed mid laners. Exactly, yeah. And I think that C9C just clearly we're struggling on multiple fronts that becomes more clear given the fact that you know we haven't really featured hoon besides me mentioning that he was hooning on people um that was a lane that i think was just very much going in favor of dignitas for the entirety of the series but yeah i think gordo you and tds are touching upon the really big players that define the pace and tempo of the series outside of the draft misperformances that i was talking about before i mean aurelian soul got through pick ban every single game guys and when it finally got locked in by dignitas insanity melted people on it seven one and seven in that last round right um they were spending a lot of time respect banning the rumble out for the first two games and that kind of i think jacked up the way that c9c could approach that draft as well when the filing was let through that was actually the game that dignitas lost that was the one that they performed the worst in um and even then that kind of came from a dead fish bot, bot lane not gonna lie for dig in that game but you know they were just recharging came back in the last game looked even better i think that's one of the games where diamond really popped off like you're talking about tds his recon performances have been premier i think throughout a lot of this recent patch so overall this is a great look for dig and i think it makes sense that they go through on winner's bracket to grand finals 100% agree. I think that, and I wanted to touch a little bit on the draft thing, because one thing that Dignitas showcased here as well, you were talking about the, the Silas blind, but also Clyden played with the Lucian Nami. Something that they, they were one of the few teams that were still being able to play that out really well and be able to perform to a high degree. This time Dignitas just shot them down and it took away one of the bands that teams did have to commit onto Lost and Seizo. And I think that that opened up a little bit more the draft as well for Dixie to try and play off some other game, uh, the game a little bit more comfortably in some of the big areas and ban areas. And it also made it so that Cloud9 need to go for different bot lanes, different attempts at trying to play. I think that the ideas from Cloud9 in the bot lanes weren't necessarily bad. I don't think that Lost Terry was necessarily bad, but when they, it went down to the typical 80 carries in the meta, it felt like Spawn at least had a little bit more down than Lost in that series, at least comparatively. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, I mean, you know, the Hoon gap is something that, that goes understated as well. It really does feel like when, especially in that game too, like I have never seen Cloud9 challengers look so lost as they do in that game, no pun intended, as, yeah, I mean, like they just do not have an answer to Hoon, Flame Horizoning, Fake God in the bottom lane, like, and I think some of that's draft, right? It's like they do not have a side lane answer to the Gwen in that game. They have Velkaz, uh, Zaya, Maokai, Renata to round out that draft. So nobody's really going to be able to deal with Hoon. But there is like, you know, Tomio's ahead for a lot of that early game. But there is like never a time where, you know, they even attempt to attack the side lane. And maybe that's just respect, right? Maybe they just think like, oh, you know, Hoon is this godlike side laner. He always knows when we're coming. He always has his vision set up. He's never going to overextend. But those aren't really traits that I associate with Hoon, right? I think he can overextend and he can get picked off. Um, but they never even try it, right? Hoon goes 3-0-0 in a game that is 8-10. Uh, kills wise, he you know barely has to participate in the map. He just solo kills Fake God constantly every time they're up against each other, and takes an inhibitor solo, never having to deal with more than one person in his lane. It's uh, I I, I think it's a very interesting weakness to look at, uh, for Cloud Nine if you're Dignitas or Team Liquid hoping to play against them. Well, if you're if you're Team Liquid coming to play against them next week uh next game and if you're dignitas uh, anticipating a rematch should really be looking towards being able to get advantages over fake god because it really feels like cloud nine do not have great answers when that when it gets really bad 
You know, uh, you know, it reminded me of like when we were talking about Jenkins uh, a little bit on CLT, and it's like, I it feels weird to say that with Baker, but like, I didn't give the grade to Hoon, and, and I'm gonna say go with that as well. But like, Baker got exposed too much in some of these matchups where the defenses that were around him were kind of weird put it like that and it reminded me of how clg felt like they had a good neutralizer up there but in reality like if vega didn't found an avenue by himself to neutralize the other player which can happen if you're going against good top laners then there's no like backup plan for the rest of the team to take uh, to try and minimize the damage and it really was kind of apparent look, uh, watching how Dignitas took advantage of that, particularly Hoon took advantage of that. And if Baygod is doing, not necessarily badly, but if he commits some sort of blunders here and there that are punished and that takes it, ends up taking advantage of, C9C doesn't really know to respond with that idea because they typically have a really good plan around bot side. They play really well. They try and get their advantages. Baygod never really feels like he's going to be a liability. Not even that, like Baygod does really good by himself neutralizes does a really good job and then they are able to play out the game knowing that fake god is going to be a uh, factor in the game but when it's not that case it felt like dixie knew that cnn wasn't going to have that factor up there in the top lane and it ended up quite affecting him quite a lot without taking away from the fact that i was one of the hoon doubters i think hoon performed amazingly or has been performing really really well so far like last week i think he did an amazing job and then this week coming in does super good against fake god i think I have to eat my words. I'm sorry, Kuhn, for disrespecting you. I thought it was going to be worse for you, and it turned out so well for them. Yeah, I, I think we're deep enough in the bracket where, you know, LCS teams are really starting to pay attention here, um, especially those who already have these players signed. I, I think, look, I'm, I'm looking at Hoon to be starting for Dignitas in summer. I mean, I think... It's Armut, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's they've got exactly. the import slot if they move down Armut. I think Armut has looked like probably the worst top in the LCS, um, especially with Haunter coming up and uh, with Revenge looking very good on Immortals. I think Revenge is a bright spot on that team. So, you know, with with the import slot available, if you swap out Armut, I think that that looks like a clear choice to try to get better for Dignitas, uh, and I would not be surprised to see it happen off the back of this uh, this playoffs run from Hoon. He's been very good so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, him not fumble it and keep that uh, keep that performance going throughout the rest of playoffs. Hopefully. And for me, looking at the rest of playoffs, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about everything as we get deeper on into the bracket and start speculating about grand finals, but to me, it's kind of a weird series to start this week on. Um the C9 Dig C matchup is one that I think a lot of people were expecting as grand finals. And what's sad is that this was such a dominant performance by Dignitas is that it kind of takes the air out of the sails going deeper in, right? Because if realistically speaking, we see C9C beat TL, which is going to be at least my prediction, maybe TDS is still going to be on the TLC train all the way. But I mean, I don't really know what C9 can do to adjust and come through in a grand finals matchup versus this team to look better than they did here because right now it just kind of feels like it's not necessarily a class but they've just kind of found a better version of themselves that they have to now match up against yeah for sure and that's plenty set on dig c9 so i'd like to move down to the lower bracket a little bit talk about our elimination match for the week a five game series going the full distance between tl challengers and cincinnati fear where it ends up being uh same sides the entire series, by the way, and TL Challengers barely ekes it out in a 3-2 win. A great series all around. I mean, definitely worth a watch. I think it's a great exhibition of the strengths of both of these teams. But boy, oh boy, do two out of the three Team Liquid wins just look so convincing here. Um, I was really impressed with how they were able to execute their game plan. I think Mir especially really stepped it up this series. Uh, he gets to play four games of Wukong, uh, and he looks great uh, in those kind of team fight wombo combo comps. I think his performance, especially in the final game, is super critical. They play the old, the old Venn diagram composition with the Wukong and the Kennen and the Ziggs. Uh, 
all just making circles and uh they they really clutch it out in some of those dragon team fights to be able to close it out and move themselves further into the bracket and as much as that was an entertaining series for someone like me that is a fan of tlc to a certain degree that was painful in a lot of situations because like you were saying i think particularly game three looks so good for tlc like they dominated that game so effectively and i was saying okay game four you go in with some of your comfortable champions as well because it's not like you were taken out of a lot of comfort looking into potential of the game four and i really like how fear countered the potential there from tlc like even in tough situations, and I think it goes back to that first game against Fly C as well, where you see even if they're in a really disadvantageous situation, they turn it around really effectively as a collective in a really well done manner. And I think that that goes a lot of credit to the players. I don't know if there's a staff that does also try and manage that out, which I don't have that much information behind the scenes, but if there is huge credit to get to them as well, because Keep, being able to keep yourself in a series is a really important strength. And I think that that's something that both TLC and Fear did showcase. Obviously, TLC being able to go a little bit uh, farther and able to take the series. But Fear did an amazing job as well in the process. Like, they could have taken the game five as well. Yeah, I think that this is Fear kind of channeling the spirit of some of their fellow provisional brethren, bringing their souls here at the very end, kind of returning them to the rift with that kind of scrappiness. We saw it a wild card. We saw it out of TLF. That's what brought them to these five game series. Like you said, some of these losses were pretty crushing. The fact that they were able to keep their mental about them and keep the momentum going is impressive into itself. Although I do think that it represents the fact that TLC is broadly the better team and maybe would see the gap widen, you know, if we got more repeat matches between these two. But as it currently stands, I think that, you know, this was a very respectable effort from fear. It's kind of sad that go out in fourth place. But honestly, I don't think anyone expected this to happen um, until pretty deep on into the regular season. This is an immensely competitive team. I'm so happy to have them back next split. And I think that they're at least very deserving of what is an admirable performance throughout the entirety of the playoffs, even if it doesn't you know, result in them going to grand finals or anything like that. Um, I tend to agree, TDS, that TL also had a lot of winnable games that just kind of went in favor of fear, which once again kind of contributes to my analysis of TLC being the better team, but uh, fear being very, very scrappy. Uh, that game four in particular, I think it just came down to like some weird itemization and weird calls. Bradley was getting absolutely dominated topside after a certain point on that Cho'Gath. Uh, they went for force of nature, even with double AD carries on Cincinnati Fierce side. That felt like a kind of a weird call. Um, just small things like that, I think, could have put a few more percentage points back over to TLC. And I hope to see, you know, the draft, the macro, and some of the small itemization calls uh, cleaned up as they are going to be facing off against what I think is a much tougher opponent uh, this upcoming week. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that even as Fear drop, uh, they do get to show us, I think, a lot of what I really loved about Fear throughout this season um, and throughout this playoffs run. I think their drafting is very good. Um, they come in with this tremendous advantage. TL has to ban Olaf, Seraphine, Vigar, uh in their first rotation of bans every single game because uh, you just can't let Fear have those champions, uh, and that's always a great situation to be in and they take full advantage of it you know they play four games of gragas they flex it around they play it mid they play a jungle um they really try to give faisal these winning matchups and i do think faisal winning top is the consistent factor in both of their wins in this series um and that in turn does make me concerned um for tl coming into the rest of the bracket both up against cloud nine and especially if they manage to make it to play against dignitas given what we just saw happen to fake god you know bradley has been having a tough run of it this playoffs he has not come back online the way that i was hoping he would he was having a very tough time up against concept he was having a very tough time up against uh who was his matchup before this uh Darshan. Yeah, I mean, Darshan, he was able to get by pretty easily. Uh, so, scratch that. But he, is, uh, but he was having a very tough time up against Concept, and he has a very tough time, I think, against Faisal in this series. He gets solo killed 
uh, as the Gwen up against the Cassante. Uh, he gets really dominated as the Cho'Gath up against the Scion. Like, I've never seen somebody camp a Scion lane so successfully as Perry does in this series. And, uh, you know, he's he's weak-siding for sure. They've definitely been giving him a lot more of those tank matchups. Um, but off the cannon, I think this playoffs Bradley has looked pretty underwhelming all in all. And I, I like that you touched on that particular point because that was the thing that I wanted to bring to potential, like for the potential Cena or for the C9C TLC matchup, right? The fact that Bradley was so exploitable in that series felt really alarming. Like Faisal, don't get me wrong, is one of the better top laners we did have in the NACL. So it's not weird to see him perform super well. But yeah, I go back to that game four with the Chogat as well, where... Dying once with Cho'Gat can happen to anyone. That's fine. Twice, okay. But the fact that it was so repeated and so... Uh, th there were plays that were... You clearly can see that there were misplays in how he approached it. Was kind of weird. So I I'm really worried about it. I hope that it doesn't become something to worry about in that C9C matchup. Uh, you say that as a TLC fan, obviously. If you don't care about TLC, you hope that Bradley keeps on performing like that because it can be one of the more riskier spots to try and attack. Now, that said, though, C9C is not a team that does try and attack top lane as much, compared to Fear that does have Faisal, one of the better top laners, and you want to have Faisal be ahead. So it's something that I'm scared, but at the same time, I don't see C9C attacking that much. And comparatively, I think TLC, particularly APA and Mir, have been performing amazingly this bracket. I think the two outstanding players from TLC, I think, have been those two. But I also I want to give a lot of credit to Arrow and Kim Down. I feel like Arrow was much more inconsistent in the regular season, really has come to showcase his veterancy, to say it like that, in the playoffs. Because he's been a, a really solid AD carry. I think his performance on the batters was amazing on the two last games, even though the fourth one they lost. I think he was playing really, really well. And then they, they ended up winning. So I want to give props to Arrow and then Kim Down as well. First... NECL split, if I'm not wrong, coming from Collegiate, doing a really good job at that. Like, I think he's becoming much more comfortable playing in this level, and I think it's been showcasing with TLC's run so far. Yeah, Arrow and Kim Down, I think, are an easy, like, those are, that's the consistently, like, hard-winning matchup. Uh, they get win they get kills on the two versus two quite a few times in this series, uh, especially on that Varus Rakan duo, and I think that ends yeah. up making a big difference for their ability. Um, to uh, collect dragons and, and try to play through that game plan, which is always really what TL wants to do. I mean, their bread and butter throughout this season has been spam ganking bottom with Mir, and I think they've evolved a little bit beyond that, but it is still, you know, the go-to strategy. And uh, they execute it pretty well. Kim Down does play five games of Rakan, uh, and it, I can't yeah. blame him. It's if he can get it every time, he can get it every time. Uh, and they're on blue side, so they get to first pick it. Uh, sometimes they usually are first picking the Wukong, um, and then they're taking the Rakan on the second rotation. Um, but you know, if, if you can get it, play it. Uh, I still think I, I think this is what came down looks best on. I guess I'll say that's the that's the optimistic way of putting it, right? Because he's at his best on these engaged supports. Really good at the Rakan, find some great angles there. Um, I'm a little bit less confident in him when you start putting him on the Enchanters, when you start putting him on stuff like the Thresh. Um, but, you know, they do a great job of drafting to give him his strength here, and he delivers for them, which is always something you love to see, uh, especially in a rookie like him down. All right, well, might as well look ahead here on towards... Team Liquid versus Cloud9, which will be our loser's side finals to uh, start off the week here, uh, coming in on Saturday. Uh, TDS previewed it a little bit here, but curious how we feel about this matchup. Uh, definitely feels like C9 is going to be favored, but uh, you know, I, I've been saying throughout all of playoffs, right? I'm going to be predicting Cloud9 to win until they give me a reason to doubt them. They have given me a bit of a reason to doubt them here now. So it, it starts to make the predictions a little bit more difficult. 
I also am doubting C9 a little bit, given their performance versus Dignitas, but I do think that there is still a considerable skill gap between Dig, C9, and TLC, and so I'm still relatively confident to give it over to C9, making it all the way to Grand Finals for the rematch. Um, And my reasoning behind that kind of comes down to some of what TDS was saying regarding the top lane matchup. I think while maybe this is slightly more doable for the side of Bradley, I don't really think that this is going to exactly be a huge issue, a huge gap for Fake God. And overall, Diplex, for as much as they struggled up versus Insanity, clearly has their on moments. And I think that they maybe weren't playing to the full potential versus Dig. They have a little bit of time to breathe, a little bit of time to watch the tapes. And unfortunately, I just don't really see APA as competitive in the same echelon as Diplex is, uh, especially if he's firing on all cylinders. So with the top and the mid, both, in my opinion, going pretty clearly in favor of C9C, plus just their historic level of domination that we saw throughout the uh, regular season for me, this is pretty comfortably in their wheelhouse. I'm going to go three, one in favor of C9. I want to say that I I'm going to take team liquid, by the way, I am going to oh, go boy. TLC three, two. I have my expectations here. And the reasoning is that I do agree with what you were saying with the Bradley side of things, because I do think that top lane look is still looking like the riskiest place to go for. I already did give the reasoning that I don't think that it's going to get as attacked as it was with Fear because I do think Fear do prefer to go topside compared to botside and C9C prefers botside compared to topside so I don't think that it's going to be that risky. That said, Bradley has lost by himself, sadly, a lot of situations so that can still be a, a riskier place to put it into. Now, on the mid lane, I disagree. I think APA is better than Diplex right now. I feel like they, I, I wasn't really, and, and Gordo did make me think about it. I didn't give credit to Insanity in that sense, but I put Diplex a little bit too high above what I actually initially thought about him. Maybe it was the C9C dominating fashion that really kind of blinded me, but I don't think as of now, Diplex is that much better than APA. And APA has something that Diplex doesn't have, which is a wider pool. Like having to go against APAs, weird champion pool is not something that a lot of players are accustomed to and if he, uh, if we did see it in the fear series like the fact that they can play six so effectively cassiopeia was such a good weapon against so many of the champions and particularly champions that Diplex do like to play i think it's going to be really effective as well and it's not that he cannot play the more traditional champions now it's true that he hasn't played much of them but it's still not something that it's out of apa's wheelhouse i feel like that much is going to be a little bit more slanted to team liquid and then my main reasoning and the main difference that I'm going to give, especially to Team Liquid, particularly the series, Mir. I think Mir has been on a tier, particularly here. I feel like he's, if not the best so far, I think top two jungler 100% with XU. He's been performing so well. I, I now see the hype that the casters were seeing on the NACL broadcast. He's been doing so, so well, namely a lot of that on Wukong, but his performances have been night and day compared to regular season. I really feel like if he does win the series, he's up for MVP MVP vote going against Dixie if they do end up winning. Yeah, I do think, I mean, we're, we're definitely on a timeline where I think Mir is probably going to win most valuable prospect. It's going to be between him and Masu because they've been going down their top five, right? And like five was Yukino. Yeah. Four was Chochi. Prismal. Four was Prismal. Oh, four was Prismal. Four was Prismal. Three was Copy. And then we're going to get two and one, I think, this week. So I assume hearing those, yeah, hearing those as the first three makes me think it's going to be Masu and Mir to close things out. I would be surprised to see other names. Um, I think APA could get an honorable mention or something. I just, uh, if I, I would be surprised that if Masu or Mir weren't included, so I assume they're going to be the top two. Um, that aside, so I take Cloud Nine Three Two here. Um, I do agree with TDS in that I do think the big X factor that's going to decide this matchup is going to be APA. Um, I think, yeah, he's really leveled up in this playoffs, in in my view. I think he's been quite good he has played against some very difficult mid lane opposition and has you know throughout all five games of that cincinnati fear series i think it's him and Mir are the most consistent performers for sure um 
he looks so good up against Shochi, who was quite a talented mid laner throughout this season. I think Shochi gave a lot of trouble to a lot of mids. Uh, and APA has really been running a gauntlet of some of the toughest mids in the league, and he's been passing it with flying colors. He's played against Copy, played against Young, he played against Pretty, uh, and now Shochi, and he's looked great against all of them. Um, so I am not concerned really about him against Diplex. I think the question is, can he outperform Diplex to enough of a degree uh, to be able to pair up with Mir and really make this series a mid-jungle gap? Because I think something that TL has traditionally relied on to get them leads has been their bot lane. And I do think if there's any bot lane in the league that is going to be able to outclass Kim Down and Arrow, it will be lost at Zazel, especially if Lost shows up to play a little bit more than he did up against Dignitas. And I think Zazel has been terrific throughout the season. Um, I don't think that they can mimic Dignitas's recipe is the other thing. Um, I do not think that Bradley can take it to Fake God the way that Hoon did. Bradley is a Gwen guy, so I think Cloud9 is going to have to avoid the Gwen into Scion matchup, but I think they've likely learned their lesson about that uh, from the series last week. And I do also think you've got to just have your wits about you for Bradley's Kennen. I think that's been his best champion yeah, throughout this playoffs run. But I think as long as you keep note of those two things and don't get yourself into really bad situations, like I think it's probably don't blind Cassante against Team Liquid with Kennen up because that is Bradley's pick at a Cassante right now and he's been slamming on it. Uh, I think as long as you avoid that situation, though, I think Fake God should be able to hold his own. And I think if you get Fake God some favorable matchups, you might even be able to build leads up there. Because um, I think Bradley's been underperforming. Bradley's been giving up a lot to top laners that I would not expect Bradley to give up a lot against. So we will see. I think it's that's going to be the big difference maker, right? If, I think if, uh, if APA can outperform... Diplex, I think it'll go towards Team Liquid. I think if Fake God can outperform Bradley, it'll go towards a C9. Um, and then I think Mir being ahead is a given, and I think Lost Zazel being ahead is a given. So it's really going to come down to those solo lanes. Um, I think it's going to be a competitive series, though, and I really hope it's going to be. It'll be disappointing if Cloud9 just slams. Because uh, if Cloud9 just slams, I think the message we take from that is these two teams loaded up with XLCS players just have more talent and the rest doesn't really matter, which is kind of a disappointing note to end the season on. I'm, I'm hoping that you guys are ready for TL reaching the grand finals, by the way. Like, it's going to be really, really fun seeing how everyone didn't expect anything out of TLC and then out of nowhere, bam, they come in and win everything out. Because I'm also thinking, like, if they win against CNC, I 100% assure you that I'm going to be voting for them winning the whole thing. I think they win against Dixie if they win against uh, CNC. Yeah. And, you know, let's talk about both hypotheticals. Because, you know, we only have four matches to talk about this week anyway. Might as well turn it into five and and talk about both here. So and go for the last. We can we can lead off with TL versus Dignitas. Uh, we'll, we'll go with TDS's world first. Ah, uh, they would have to look real convincing against so, cloud nine for me to predict tl up against dignitas here man it's i think they just really do like i i don't think there's any way bradley gets out of lane against uh hoon first of all like i think that's a big problem uh that does not have an easy answer and i think xu is the best prepared to deal with mir um and I don't think APA will be able to take it up against Insanity. I think Insanity is the test that APA won't be able to pass here. Yeah, it kind of is on the same line with Gordo TDS. For me, the concern is with this matchup that perhaps it is the case in the abstract things aren't playing out the way that they will in real life. Um, I think the hope is that by virtue of them getting to grand finals, they clearly absolutely schlobber knock a weakened C9C. And maybe it is the case that because C9C looks weak against TL, we could also retroactively look at their series this week where they lost versus Dignitas and say they're just out of sorts, you know, something like that. Um, maybe because that's the case, we're getting a really nice ramp up for TLC. But simultaneously, the worry is that 
clearly they're playing against a power down C9C, so they aren't really even making much of a statement against Dignitas. It, I, it's all kind of a mess. I don't really know a world in which I can convincingly put this in TLC's favor, but give us your arguments. I, I do kind of want to hear if you think they're able to take it all the way. So I think they'll take it all the way if they do beat C9C, and it's going to be a 3-2 once again. I feel like TLC doesn't have it to dominate a series. That's why, or to dominate a 3-0 fashion series against this sort of competition, because they don't have like that extra edge that some other teams may have. But I do think that they have the players to be able to take the individual games really effectively. And I'm not that down. Like once again, I think APA can win against Insanity. Like I think, I, I feel like not only the fact that I do think that he's probably going like if he if it's not this blade i think next blade he's going to be the mess the best mid in NECL if he stays down there i really like the level up that he's been showcasing so far and diplex yes probably a little bit in uh, i did say a little bit inferior compared to how he was against insanity but i think that it, it's a, going to be a sh good showcase for apa to try and go against a mid laner that has the caliber to be a champion in the NACL to say it like that and I think that if he's able to go again, uh, to go over Diplex against Insanity, he's going to be able to perform once again. And I also think that he's been one of the players that, when it was in regular season against Insanity, performed super well against him. Yes, Team Liquid lost, but in regular season, he also already did showcase that he was able to go against Insanity, even if the team wasn't really going to perform up to level. So I feel, I think... In mid lane, the matchup is not going to be DXC favored. I think it's going to be even, and even may just go a little bit over to APA on that side. The main worry that you were talking about, though, Bradley, I do still think about it because I do think that he is going to lose the matchup against Kuhn. The big difference, though, with Cloud 9C is that I don't think their bot lane is that big of an issue anyway, as well. Shout out to TDS for just bringing the conflict to the podcast, you know. I feel like week after week, you're getting the spicy takes. You're getting good principles behind them. You're often right, too. So, I mean, if you have your weight behind someone, TDS, I do often fear that you will be correct. This will be a very interesting dynamic. I personally, from like a narrative standpoint like the underdog story of TL, but I think I like the idea of C9 returning triumphantly back to matchup against Dignitas one more time as the top two competitors throughout the entirety of the NACL season as kind of my ideal ending to it all. We'll have to see, though. We'll have to see. It's a good, like, dichotomy. The the team that nobody expects anything maybe goes into winning, although that would have been fear to a certain degree, right? Like... Mm. More people thought Fear would have been the better underdog story than TLC, although TLC did worse than Fear in the regular season, realistically. So they, they are the more of an underdog than TLC than Fear in that sense. And them winning would be a much better underdog story. But I do understand that. Like, I just, I'll finish quickly my point on, on TLC though, because I, I do want to say Dixie doesn't have the strength that I do still think C9 has in Baldwin and the way that they play for Baldwin. So in that sense, if TLC doesn't miserably lose top lane and then they can play through bot lane like they've been able to keep mid lane a non-factor or actually be able to get some leads in mid lane, then they do have the control. Of, I, I really like TLC's control of objectives. I think they have one of the better objective control in the in all of the NECL. So they are able to get that sort of lead through bot side and get control over objectives like the dragons consistently. They have a really good way of just forcing fights in their favor and making so that other teams just fall big team to weird combos like the Wukong six that they've been able to pull off so consistently as well. So I really think that they do have them in that side. And if they are able to pull it off against Cloud9C, they can pull it off against Dixie as well. But I think now we can move to the more or endless quarter wants to. Well, I did just want to say I I do agree with your point there about team identity, um, and you know ability to execute on a consistent game plan. I think if there's anything that the two series this last week, if there's like a one big takeaway for the whole league that I leave with after these two series, I think it's that TL and Cincinnati Fear were the teams that had clearer, well rehearsed identities. Uh, and the ability to consistently develop and execute on game plans. I think they are the two teams who are the best at that. I think they're, and one could argue, you know, maybe that maybe that makes them the best coached team, right? Maybe that makes them the best uh, developed team. That makes them, and they're the teams with more rookies, right? 
So that's what I love to see out of them. Dig and C9 have less of that, but they're the teams with the more talented players, right? They're the teams with more firepower in the mechanics department. They have more experience. They have um, imports. You know, those <laughs> those are the big difference makers there. Uh, I say that like TL doesn't have Arrow, but you know what imports, I mean. Yeah. Um, and Mir. And Mir. And Mir. Yeah, TL. I say that like TL doesn't have two Koreans on it, but regardless... I, I do think that th- like those are that's kind of my big takeaway from this last uh, split. So I think if you can if you can overcome the firepower hurdle, you know if if APA can outlane the likes of Diplex and Insanity, you know if if Bradley can pull it together and not lose lane to these guys, I can see TL making a run off that alone. Let's hope so. And we can talk about the more realistic matchup as well, which is the Cloud9 Dignitas rematch. So what do we think, if it does come down to these two teams again, what can Cloud9 do differently in this second series to try to take something? And in in my mind, I think a lot of it comes down to having lost perform normally. Uh, (laughs) I think that would give them a little bit more of a fighting chance in what was a 3-1 series. And uh, it's going to be hard to do because you can target it in draft pretty effectively. But I want to keep Tomio on normal champions, man. I want him on the trifecta. I want him on Wukong. I want him on Vi. And I want him on Sejuani. Uh, I do not really want him leaning too far away from those picks. Maybe a Maokai here or there. Or a Gragas. But that's that's as far as I'm willing to go. I think if Cloud9 wants to win this series, you you keep him on those picks. Is that the fate of esports? Is that the reason why everybody on Reddit complains about esports and balance? You know, we were begging these guys stay on the normal chance that we've been seeing all season for months on end, uh, just for a chance at winning. Um, I do think you're touching on the correct points here, though, Gordo, regarding what C9C needs to do to evolve and find a way to answer back against Dignitas. And this is something that I really genuinely believe, and I've tried to argue for, I don't know if it was necessarily on this podcast. I argue a lot in a lot of different uh, forums, but I've often said, I don't think even a best of five is a really good uh rendering of skill and relative power between two teams i think that the way that league works its inherent variance the way in which it snowballs all these dynamics means that you know i think you need at least like a first to ten between two two teams before i could confidently say one is truly better than the other and while obviously that's unrealistic this is all to say i don't think that we've seen the best out of c9c i don't think we've seen that dignitas is definitively the better team overall um, they just looked better that week and perhaps it'll be the case. They'll look better for another week or maybe C9 will actually bring it back. Diplex will be activated and also bot side of the map. Gordo, you touching upon that, I think makes a lot of sense because it's not only making sure that the AD carry does well, but it's ensuring that Zazal can really fulfill his role as best support in the freaking game right now, or best support in the NACL at the very least, which I think he is very deserving of that title still, even throughout these playoffs. And I want to go with Diplex a little bit more because I feel like that's the biggest hurdle that CNC kind of has to go over for me to look at them going over Dixie. Because yes, Lost needs to be able to perform. I still will stand with this. I think Spawn and Diamond are weaker than Sazel and Lost, even with this previous series. Like, I feel like that's more of an off day than the actual skill difference or the actual, like, showcase of the level of the bot lane. And that's also why I... Think TLC will do fine against them, but I feel like the difference maker is going to be Diplex here because one thing that did happen in the C9C series against Dixie was in the third game when they gained complete control over mid lane thanks to the Oriana pick, like when they just consistently controlled the mid lane thanks to that, they were able to give so much freedom to Tomio and then they just were able to pull off plays consistently all around the map. I feel like if you play safe topside, that's completely fine. Yes, Hoon may do whatever he wants, but once again. Baygod, I think it's a good, it's a player that can neutralize a lot of those situations, so it's not that risky. As long as there's not, like, pile driving the living hell out of top lane, it should be fine enough. And that game did have a little bit of, like, attempts at him, but Baygod did completely fine on the NAR. So if you do get a control over mid lane and provide 
enough of an assistance for Diplex to try and get control of, over that lane and then give so much more space for Tomio, I think they can do much, much more on the side of CNC. And that was also something that almost happened on the fourth game. Like, even though the area looked really bad later on, and we have Lord Aurelion Sol destroying people from the heavens, it did have a lot of what did the first, the third game did have as well. Like, consistent push, open up Tomio, free up space, get control early on. They were en route to win that freaking game until they decided that they didn't want to win the series. But apart from that, like they had a lot of control that they could pull off. And I think that if they are able to manage that out with Diplex, they can take it to Dixie a lot more effectively compared. I do agree that maybe the Diplex change uh, or, you know, Diplex performing a little bit better uh, could make a big difference in this series as well. And when you think about it, right, I think all three Cloud9 losses, you know, there's a good there's a good copium angle. There's a readily available copium angle on each loss that Cloud9 suffers in this series. Um, and it really feels like Game 3 is the only one where they're really playing, like, classic C9, right? Uh, you know, in that game, Fake Out does fall behind early on you know dignitas goes for the game plan you expect with xu ganking through top trying to put hoon's rumble ahead and it does succeed a tiny bit right there's a point in the game where hoon has a cs lead he has a kill lead uh he's taken down fake god the one time the fake god dies um but tomio uses that time to to pull off gank spot and to get lost and sazel ahead and that is a really bit more of uh, the gameplay that I would expect to see from Cloud9 Challengers, given how the rest of the season goes, and then they snowball that into Dragons and eventually into a win. Um, but the other games, you know, if, if you want to try to write them off, right, Game 1, you know, Diplex's Silas gets crushed by Insanity's Ari. I don't know that that happens, you know, 10 out of 10 times, right? I, I gotta give Insanity all the credit in the world, but... I don't know that that's, like, an impossible matchup for Diplex, right? I can see worlds where Diplex can succeed a little bit more there. And he even does have some skirmishes in that game where he still looks good. I think you could also just say maybe Lost to Zazel can't go for the Lucian Nami up against... At least up against the Zyra Rakan, because it seems like Swan and Diamond are fully capable of dealing with that lane. Game 2, complete draft difference, right? The, you can't can't give up Gwen with nobody to answer her in the side lane. I think that's a very easy lesson to learn for Cloud9 and to leave that game with. Uh, don't don't give up Gwen with no way to answer the Gwen. Uh, and then Game 4, right? I actually think they have all the tools to win in Game 4, as TDS is saying, right? It's, you know, it's Asol Jinx carries, and you are the turbo dive composition. You have the Malphite, you have the Nocturne, you have the Ari. Um... Didn't love Tomio's Nocturne. Like I said, don't really want to see it again. It gets put super, super behind by XU's Vi uh, off of some good early game pathing by XU. But that said, Cloud9 still manages to get themselves in a winning position. It's just lost getting caught out in back-to-back -back fights and giving up massive amounts every time he dies that wins that third game for or that fourth game for Dignitas. So there's angles for Cloud9 to play here despite the 3-1 scoreline. The great thing about that comp, though, is that you can put in by Wukong or even Gragas, and it works out the same way. True. Just, like, not Nocturne. That's that's the thing. Yeah, something that can withstand getting invaded a little bit better, because, yeah, Tomio yeah. should have been totally out of that game. I don't remember exactly how, but they have, like, a good fight around Dragon or something to get themselves back into it, and then Lost just gets caught twice in a row by, like... Violet Asol, like it just casts, yeah. he just casts salt on the Zeri straight up, and he gets caught out. Or Diamond gets him with a with a little pick there as well. I mean, it's a tough game to play the Zeri against the Rakan and the Vi, but yeah, Lost is certainly uh, plays a little too fast and loose with it, and does end up giving up quite a bit. I wanna like I wanted to talk a, a little bit about something before we move forward as well because I didn't touch on this. Sure. On the moment that we were talking with Veer, it's it's a like a parenthesis because I wanted to touch on something with Veer, and I think it applies to almost all the teams. But do you really think that Veer will stay together, even though they are staying up? Like, I don't think the five players are staying on Veer. There's, I, I feel like there's no shot because with how well they perform, there has to be teams that want to snuck them. Like at least three out of the five are out of Veer, and I say it's Perry, it's Faisal, and it's Shochi. I agree. I think, yeah, it, and it depends on how much turnover some of these challenger teams want to do spring to summer, right? 
Um, I think 2023 to 2024 for sure. You know, these players are going somewhere else. Um, not all challenger teams want to make changes spring to summer. A lot of them want to commit to the full year. Um, with that said, Immortals Challengers has now opened up a spot, which is also something I suppose we could talk about here, right? Immortals has dropped Chad. Um, that was announced. So yeah. Chad is now available and an Immortals Jungle position is now available. Immortals did also drop uh, Yasui as soon as they were eliminated. So Immortals has two roster slots open. Uh, could go for like, you know, assuming everything's on the table, Shochi Perry would certainly make Immortals Challengers a lot better. The question is, if you're already on fear and looking really good with the teammates you have, why go to, you know, obviously you get the salary, um, which is a pretty big benefit. You know, I saw, I think it was, was it a fear player? Somebody posted like their, their monthly income and it was like $1,250 with 800 going to rent. So, like, some of these provisional teams are not making... I, I assume all of these provisional teams, maybe not the LCS-affiliated ones. Um, these guys are not making good money. So maybe you just take any challenger offer you can get because that at least bumps you up to LCS minimum. Um, yeah, it was Chochi in the AMA who was talking was about it. I think he uh, shared his salary in the form of Nick Chickens and basically <laughs> was saying, yeah, that he's being paid twelve fifty a month. I imagine that this is probably incentive for them to move on if they have offers. But yeah. like you're saying, Gordo, we don't really know what their contracts look like, really. It could be the case that they are signed on for just this full year and we'll be seeing a transition after that. Um, but as someone who is not super in the loop when it comes to that kind of thing, maybe it's in the database and I just don't know how to access nor navigate it. As far as what what LCS minimum is? Or just in terms of, like, how long people are signed on for, for, like, Fear and Company? Oh, yeah, that that is a good question. Yeah, so, I mean, they probably have a buyout. I assume the buy like, there's no way the buyout, if you're paying them twelve fifty a month, there's no way the buyout's yeah, that true. high, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, you I mean, in that price. case, maybe you do just take, you take whatever offer you can get. And, I mean, and if you're Immortals Challengers and you, you know, assuming you're Immortals Challengers and by virtue of being an LCS organization, you are offering a substantially higher salary than any team that isn't another challenger team. Um, then Perry's probably, you know, he's, he's pick number one, right? If you can, you can have your pick of the litter for junglers. You would take Perry. So maybe that is a change that we end up seeing for next split. I'm also kind of curious on this. Uh, I don't have like any information if this is ever done or anything like that. And it brings me a great opportunity to bring more analogies to the conversation here, but like, and I, I want to point out to American sports as well, because I don't know how it works, but do teams put clauses on contracts for percentage of a player's sale? Meaning? Like when I sell a player to you, I keep a percentage of that player's sale in future sales. Meaning oh, that I if... have no idea. Yeah, because I know that for in football, once again, I know for a, for a fact that there's teams that do that in my country, particularly because like it's it's not like there's huge 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 teams that are internationally renowned or some but like not to the huge huge degree. So small teams put up by a uh, clause in some contracts that the young players we uh, they sell to another team that works like as a uh lever yeah like a lever to get towards higher end teams put like 10% of that buyout goes to them in the future so like if i sell them to one team if i sell them to a team i get 10% of any sales that they make with that player for the future and that goes on continuously for that player's career because they have that clause consistently put in and i'm not sure if that has been done in esports or does happen in any sort of way with players yeah, I mean, we would we would not really have a way of knowing because uh, the contracts aren't public. My understanding is that for like these provisional teams, especially, I think a lot of them are on like like Riot gives you like a, a template, and most okay. players are like you could sign whatever contract you want, but you know, I think a lot of these orgs, um, you know, especially if like a, if like a TikTok Tony Top or somebody makes it into the NACL it's good to have those resources there for them. And my understanding is most teams use that standard contract. Um, but I do mm -hmm. not have any insider knowledge on 
if how many if any depart from that and how much customization really exists in the contracts at this level like that you know those kind of things those seem like g2 kind of contract deals where maybe maybe the biggest contracts have stuff like that but i don't know that uh you know like cincinnati fear does yeah and and it goes it's a good way for this sort of small or it would be a good way for these smaller teams to make buyouts more accessible because like you could say you could argue like there's uh for Putting out numbers that I absolutely have no idea if that's true or not. Three million dollar buyout for one of the players, but with the percentage, you can make it so that it's just one million, and you still like sell it for lower. But then future buys become more accessible to your team, so it's kind of playing the long game, but still gaining some earnings in a really com- consistently good manner. And I feel like for smaller teams like this, professional ones could be a good way to play it off. It could also be like something that in North American sports doesn't happen because like, I don't know how contracts work in any of the other sports like that. So probably it's not even a traditional like practice over there in that sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I would assume there's much less of that in, like I never hear about that in NFL or anything, but I think that the salary cap probably contributes to that a lot though. Um, And yeah, other rules around contracts. So I'm not sure, but I do know at the very least, as far as, you know, making money for yourself and putting food on your own table, if you're making twelve fifty a month, you definitely would want to make that jump up to yeah. getting paid LCS minimum because LCS minimum is 65K, I believe. I thought it was 75. Uh, I would have to double check what the, it's in the rule book. It's whatever minimum amount you need to make to get onto the, um, contract database, um, Either way, uh, either of those salaries would be a substantial bump up from twelve fifty a month. So, would not blame Perry or anybody else for taking that over keeping the team together, even though keeping the team together might be best for your competitive results. And to add on to this, I guess my question then becomes a matter of how good is it that there are provisional teams that are performing well in the NACL? Because I want people to be able to make money playing the game that they love, and I want them to be able to live and, beyond that, have the resources to improve to the greatest degree possible, right? Uh, I was scrolling a little bit more through that Shoshi AMA, and he was saying how one of his big regrets with his current funding is that he's not able to go to Korea and boot camp there or anything like that as well, right? And so if it is the case that we see fear just kind of working as a feeder to other teams who can actually offer that LCS minimum, my question then becomes a matter of, isn't it kind of rough that fear isn't constantly in that cycle of relegation, that they're just kind of someone who will have the roster blown up and now they got to desperately try to scramble to not get relegated next season, but it's not like they have the team identity that they have here and that we're claiming right now. It's, it's tough to say because I do think that that's the way of survival of these sort of teams. And I, Mm -hmm. once again, go back to football to try and put an example to this because like there's teams that work out like this you don't really have like the consistent history to back you up or like the big successes or the big money to back you up but they thrive through great scouting and great like foundation so they pick out players uh, a, a great example of that that i know of is in my country there's a team, a team called Envigado. They legitimately produce the most talent in my country in terms of of players, and they are known as a like the the academy that produces the most players out of that, and they make a living out of that, and they've been in the first division for a long time, just off of doing that. So like it's a tough business, but it's something that the more you do it, the more you're able to keep yourself up there. Like they don't really need to be top four consistently as for you, right? But as long as they are not relegated and they can keep on producing players, they can begin getting more funds because now the teams will know that they are a, a player producing a team and they can get good players just by scouting off of them. And that's a, another way of business for these sort of teams. I agree that that's a valuable role that, you know, I think can exist in the realm of the NACL. But my question is kind of twofold building off of that, TBS. One is, why not just have it so random provisional teams 
carry the torch, get deeper on into, say, a playoff bracket or do well in the regular season? Why does it have to just necessarily be fear or wild card or AOE or whatever team dodges relegations? Their role over the course of many years to be that talent producing group. And even if it is the case that that is valuable, it is more valuable than any random team for like one split doing well and then having those people scouted. Uh, do you think that this produces like fans or do you think that there's like a pathway for growth for fear as an organization then? Because who's going to say I'm a fear fan if they have a different roster every split? I am, I'm sure that there will be people. I mean, I've been fans of teams with kind of revolving door rosters in the past, but it just feels like a tough place to be, especially when the threat of relegation looms over you. And if you've invested, you know, for multiple years, your fandom into a team, the fact that they are never really getting confirmed, nor are they getting more funds really worries me. Yeah, there is. So there is the development fee clause, which was added this year. So I, I did just pull it up in the rule book. So any LCS organization that adds a provisional player to their full team roster on the GCD will be required to pay a registration fee of $2,500 to register that player. So it's not that much. Uh, it's two months' salary <laughs> for a Cincinnati <laughs> Fear player. To t you get a you pick up a so Immortals Challengers picks up. Perry from Cincinnati Fear, they pay two months of Perry's salary to uh, to Cincinnati Fear, and they get him, and that's it. And they send uh, the other way. I don't know, Gordo. That's like 5,000 shares of FaZe Clan stocks or something like that. That's substantial <laughs> for some of these organizations, you know, even if they are affiliated. Yeah, so that's not that much. I do, and it is a bit of a balancing act, right? Because it's like, I would like to see it higher, but also it's like, how much can it really be before it's like, before you as a player are like, well, I could get Perry off Cincinnati Fear, but then I have to pay double the salary because of the exorbitant development fee system. So I'm just going to get, you know, a random solo queue player. Uh, you don't want to create those incentives because then you're kind of screwing Perry over. Um, but I also think $2,500 is like peanuts. Like that says that doesn't offset the, the value of Perry for Cincinnati fear by any means. Right. That's like, it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't even cover the salary you paid him for this split. Um, so it's the, you know, at best you're hoping to like break even there. And even then it's not particularly close. So it's a tough situation. I would like to see maybe some kind of system where, you know, if maybe some kind of tiered system where if you make a deep run into playoffs that can secure your position for more splits but then that also becomes difficult because it's like what now you're now you're going to guarantee relegate four out of five teams because fear is locked in so it, it becomes very tough uh i do agree though i think there needs to be some consideration made for how to make these teams sustainable because i don't think just the uh the novelty of being able to play against academy teams is going to be enough to make these orgs themselves, you know, really incentivized to try to get into NACL and stay there. Well, you could argue that they could make it so that teams that actually make a dip run, they get more of the earnings than the provisional team. So if a provisional team does better than five academy teams or challenger teams, you can make it so that they get more earnings comparatively to what the rest would have gotten just because of their better placements. But another thing that I wanted to touch on because like mentioning the stability of the teams and st the stability of the, of the league, right? Like things like that. It's tough to argue in favor of the development teams, not because it's bad or anything like that, but because they are really not making an investment monetarily. And it's kind of the way that I see it from Riot's perspective, right? If the other 10 teams paid for their spots with the LCS or whatever, but they did pay for their previous spots, and you're trying to make it so that teams that really didn't do that, but still went through a selection pressure, but didn't really pay like the huge amounts of money to be there, are getting the same treatment. I could understand why Riot wouldn't want to approach that, but at the same time, it doesn't create a equal like environment for the other teams. So it's really difficult to balance it out. And I also think that there's a big issue with the huge divide between LCS and Challengers. You could argue it's it's similar in other leagues as well. But like 
LCS, I would say LCS salary and challenger salary has a really big divide when you compare them. Like even players from challengers to amateur are a really big divide as well. So like there's a pretty big separation between each tier of the of the NA like scene. And I think that that makes a really hard to handle situation. Yeah, I mean, also, I'd also think a lot of challenger players are not making minimum too. I think a lot of them make more yeah. than minimum. Um, especially, you know, some of the more in-demand players, like I'm sure Sniper making more than minimum because uh, other teams surely had demand for that player as well. Fellas, this is why we need a robust collegiate system to scout from because <laughs> then you don't need provisional teams at all. Big brain time here. Or the high school system Collegiate as well. The high school system, yeah. Shout out to Wasia, by the way. It's been really fun casting for them. Yeah, I will. I, I I don't know. I don't remember who it was. I saw like the from someone. I, I think it was uh, the one that manages the clerky. I think it is that manages Maryville's like mm -hmm. League of Legends or esports side, League of Legends side. He said that it's too late at collegiate. I think it was it's too late at collegiate level. You need to manage it at high school level, and you need to develop more the high school like esports scene and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I like it, it's the point that Nerf was making. I, I think it's completely right. Like. At least in any scene, high school really has to be the focus. Imagine being like Niles of an odd orange sitting there reading on Twitter where Clark, he's just like, it's too it's too long gone for these fossils that I, I have mean, in my I employ. I think they know it's too late for like Niles yeah. is retired on paper, right? Niles well, retired and, and orange, competitive. Odd orange was 10 years, I think. Yeah. In the process. So like they yeah. know they probably I feel like they are the ones that said, Yeah, it has to be high school, like collegiate is late. <laughs> yeah. We're done for. For sure. Well, we actually managed to crest an hour, even with only five series hey. to talk about. So let's go, boys. We managed to fill up the time. Uh thanks everybody for tuning in there. We won't drag it on any longer than that. Stay tuned for NACL playoffs that'll close out this weekend. Would be Saturday and Sunday. Uh, no LCS games on the weekend now as Valorant is kicking off. No comments to be made there. Uh, and uh, that's going to do it for the NACL season. We'll be back next week uh, probably to break down how the finals went. And we'll have something fun in store for the promotion tournament, which is just a couple of weeks after that. So still plenty more NACL to get excited about before MSI starts and we start to get into our true offseason season. We will see you there on the salt mine once it is time. And until then, thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time.